My wife and I, we've been married for 13 years now. Congratulations to her and to me. <laughs> Jokes. She deserves an award. She, um, she, she already told me what she wants to do for our 15th year anniversary. She wants to get married again. And I'm like, to me? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what's going on? Um, anyway, we'll see how that goes. Tell the full story. No, I can't because it doesn't make me look good. Um, by the way, you're all invited, invited to my 40th birthday party at Luna Park. That's the full story. That's the deal. Anyway, we've been married for 13 years and we're talking about this idea of knowing people. Right? And, and you know when you first start dating, right? And, and it's been a while, obviously, for me, but for some of you, this is the journey, right? When you first start dating, you want to know that person. You want to know that person. You want to know them better. So what do you do? You start, as we all do now, on Facebook, about, you click it, what school did they go to? You go to their friend list. Who are they friends with? What kind of people do they hang out with? You know, you look at their like pages, what kind of pages that they like, what kind of themes. Don't do that. No one does that? Okay. Well, I would do that. Seems like a very logical thing to do. So you're learning about their facts, right? You're learning about the facts of that person. But once you start dating, it starts to change, right? Once you start dating, of course, you're still learning about that person because you, as you talk to them, you start thinking, well, you know, what food do you like? You know, what, what, I don't know, what's your favorite movie? And you're still learning about the facts of that person. But as that deepens, as, as you start to know that person and, and, and you know, hopefully get married and, 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 you know, 13 years on, you, you start to know that person on a deeper level beyond just facts, it's not just about that person, the facts that you learn, but you start to learn more about their thoughts and their heart and their desires. And, and these things you can't find on Facebook. So, for example, um, when I got married to my wife, I knew she liked flowers. Good job. So I would, I would, I would buy flowers on all of our, uh, every time I stuffed up. That's pretty much when I bought flowers, Okay. <laughs> As I got to know her, I learned that her favorite flowers were roses. So then I started to buy roses. And as then I got to know her even deeper, I found out that she has a specific rose that she likes, which is the David Austin rose, which I have a photo of. This is the David Austin rose. Now, what you need to know about David Austin roses are really only two things. They're super expensive and they're super hard to find. Okay? That's all you need to know about them. So my conclusion after 13 years, well, not after 13, I've, I've worked it out, is that my wife desires expensive things to make my life painful. <laughs> That's the conclusion I've come to in knowing my wife. We're talking about this idea of seeing God clearly. To see God clearly, we not only do we need to know who God is, his attributes and his qualities, but we also need to start to learn about his heart. 
We also need to start learning about his passions. And we also need to start learning about his desires. It's one thing to know about a person, about the facts of that person, about the history even of that person. But to go deeper and to see that person clearer, you need to start to learn about what's inside their heart. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to ask the question, what is inside God's heart? What is God passionate about? And it comes down to this. It's his people. The passage we're looking at today is Luke 15, and it's a relatively famous passage, and it's called the Lost Passage, because it tells three stories about things that were lost. Now, the context of this passage is found in the first two verses, um, verse 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus the Son of God, this phenomenal religious scholar who even at a young age would be found at temple talking and arguing with the teachers of the law and the religious leaders of the time who were much older than him. This same Jesus would be seen in his ministry hanging out with people that were not acceptable by the religious people of the time. Now, the two types of people that are mentioned in this passage are the tax collectors and the sinners. The tax collectors were Jewish people that were uh, working for the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire was the powering empire. But these guys were the Jewish guys who would work for this, this, this uh, dictator in the Roman Empire and would collect taxes from fellow Jews to send back to Rome. Now, as much as we go, oh, tax collector, aren't they just kind of like, you know, the ATO or accountants? The tax collectors were considered in the Jewish circles, they were the scum of the earth. Because the way that the Jewish people saw the tax collectors was, number one, they were seen as traitors. They were seen as working with the enemy. They were seen as working with the Roman Empire that was oppressing their people. The Roman Empire were oppressing the people and these tax collectors would be collecting tax off them. But not only were they seen as traitors, but they were seen as cheats. Rome would set their percentages of how much tax to collect, but these tax collectors would be greedy. And Rome would say, collect 5%, and these tax collectors would collect 7%. And they would send 5% back to Rome, And where would the last two go? Into their pockets. So they would be rich. But pretty much they're stealing. They're cheating. Off who? Their fellow brothers and sisters. Their fellow countrymen. So that's why they were considered the scum. The lowest of the low in the Jewish community. But not only was Jesus seen with tax collectors, he was seen with sinners. Now, when we use the term sinners in our, in our context, we, we, we talk about any, anyone and everyone that has sinned, which is everyone here. But in that context, the Bible talks about sinners as the outcasts of society. Not necessarily just Jewish people, but even in the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. These were the tax collectors, were part of them, the, the, the diseased, the, the, the prostitutes, the socially unacceptable, pretty much the socially and religious outcasts of that time. And these were the people that were coming to see Jesus 
But not only coming to hear Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't just welcome them to come and listen, but he would actually sit down and eat with them. Now, you've got to understand, eating is very important. Uh, for those that fasted this week, you would understand. We had prayer and fasting week this week, and it was a great week. And um, I fasted food, which is, um, I lost three kilos this week. How good is that, eh? Put a straight back on yesterday. But, <laughs> you know, if, when you fast food, right? And sorry, when you're fasting food, not when you fast food, because when you fast food, that's when you go and drive through, okay? When you're fasting food, everything smells so good. My ki- I kid you not, there was one morning after I had fasted about 48 hours, and the kids were having Milo cereal, or they were eating some Nutrigain cereal in the morning, and it smelt so nice. Did you know cereal, cereal smells? You don't, right? That's because you take it for granted. You're all taking it for granted. Right? Eating is so important. It, the act of eating, it, it's proactively going and intentionally making time to sit with a person. And it's a time thing. It's an effort thing. And it's also a barrier thing. They say when you're eating is when your barriers, your personal barriers are at its lowest. Right? So Jesus didn't teach, just teach sinners and tax collectors. He didn't just hang out with them. He ate with them. He ate with them. And, 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 and the religious teachers and the, and the Pharisees, they're asking the, a great question. Jesus, you're meant to be some kind of phenomenal religious scholar, you, you know, who you claim to be is the son of God. Why are you hanging out with these lowlifes? Why are you not just hanging out? Why are you eating with these people that we would never eat with? We would never have anything to do with them. Why are you hanging out with them? And then the rest of chapter 15 talks about why that's the case. And it's really explaining the heart of God. And Jesus answers this in three stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And we're just going to look at the first story today, which is the lost sheep, verse 3 to 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, a parable is a story, and the purpose of that story is to shock. Now, we've read this story before. I'm sure you've heard this story before. And and maybe you haven't understood the shock of this story. So I want to show you the two issues that many people would have had with this story. Okay? Firstly, he only lost 1%. He only lost 1%. Now, we, we live in a world, we live in the most calculated world. Right? You know, back in the day when you did business, you know, it was like estimates. It was like a handful of sugar for a handful of, you know, barley and they would barter and swap, right? Now, it's like 1.000005 grams. You know, like, you, you, you want to hire a lawyer, right? Lawyers, you know, timesheets, 15 minutes. 
So if you like have to really go to the bathroom as a lawyer, that's one block or maybe even two blocks depending on how bad you, know, you need to go, right? Like we live in the most calculated uh, society ever. You look at your schedule. You know, back in the day, it was like, I'll go shopping sometime this week. You know, sometime I'll end up at the shops to do groceries. How do you do it now? It's scheduled in for next Thursday. It's ske- you've scheduled in, some of you are more guilty of this, you've scheduled in stuff for like six months down, right? I'm guilty of that, right? We live in the most calculated society. And so when you go, okay, this guy has 100 sheep, he only lost one, automatically we go, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. That's 99 versus one. That's 99% versus 1%. Why would, he, why would he do that? Why would he go and look for 1% when he's still got the 99 But it's not like that for this shepherd. And we need to understand the heart of the shepherd because the heart of the shepherd is the heart of God. It's not about the calculations. God doesn't work logically in the calculations. He doesn't go, well, you know, there's there's, 40% Christian in the world. You know, that's pretty good. Let's just go with that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't see you as a number. He doesn't see anyone in this world as a number. He doesn't see us as proportions. He sees us as individuals that he loves and cares for. And so when one of them goes missing, when one of the sheep goes missing, the shepherd's heart goes to that sheep. Mathematically, it does not make sense. But from the heart of God, it shows where his heart is for each and every one of his sheep. So that's the first issue. The second issue is why would you celebrate it's only 1%? He not only finds the one lost sheep, but he makes a big deal out of it. He calls the town together to celebrate because he found his one lost sheep. And now once again, many of us would be like, but it's only 1%. It's only one sheep. Why are you making a big deal? What about the 99 you already had in the paddock? See, for us, once again, we're like that. Because we're calculated. And yet God celebrates recovering the minority. He, he celebrates recovery of the 1%. And the extent of the celebration isn't just, ooh, that's a great celebration. No, it was a party. If you went shopping and you found an item for $1,000, because we're in Chatswood, which we're in Chatswood Chase, more specifically, and it said, off, right? And you bought it, you would tell everyone. You would tell everyone. Oh, 90% off, I saved $900. You would, it would be on your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter feed, right? And and you would feel so good because you saved 90%, even though you still had to pay $100. But if you saved... 1%, you wouldn't tell anyone. You know what I'm saying? It's so little. If you went to the shop and you found a $100 shirt and and it was like sale, $99. Sometimes when we used to work in Bunnings, they used to have the best sale. Sometimes it'd be like three cents cheaper. It's like $98.62 down to... $98.59. And that actually someone would print a sign. 
celebrating that three cent difference, right? Now, if you bought that, you would not, it's not a big deal. But here's the thing, for God, it is a big deal. For God, it was such a big deal that even 1%, and this is the heart of God, that even the 1% gets a huge celebration. Friends, this is the heart of God. This is the desire of God. If we want to see God clearly, we really need to understand His heart. You can't see God clearly if you, if you just know about Him, but you don't know what's in His heart. And that's what God's saying tonight. It's, he is all about the lost. He's about the outcasts. He's about the weak. He's about the poor. He's about the lowly. He's about the messed up. He's about the prostitute. He's about the, the adulterers. He's about the, the ones that have made mistakes, the murderers, the socially awkward, the neglected, the sinners, the criminals. He's about all of them. It's a very different message to the world we live in because the world is not like that. You know, we, we talk about the, the coronavirus and, you know, there have been many viruses. It's not like it's the first virus. And if you've had a conversation about this or if you've had some thoughts about this, right, they've actually closed off the, the, the cities in China that have been affected. And everyone, and, and I kid you not, and it, it's okay, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure some of you have watched that and gone, oh, lucky. Lucky they've closed that off. Lucky I'm isolated. Lucky I'm away from that. You know what? That's the, how the world thinks. That's the weak, that's the poor, that's the lowly. Stay away because it might affect me. You know, back in the, back in the, uh, the, the European, um, when the Black Plague came through England, right? And the Black Plague, it, it's an infectious disease where, where multiple, you know, millions of people died through this. You know, I, I'm sure it was like that. Some people would have been like, oh, I'm lucky it's not in my town. Lucky it's away from me. But do you know what the Christians did? They didn't go away and put, they, they didn't put fences up, right? They didn't draw boundaries. The Christians, because they understood the heart of God, they actually went in to the plague-ridden places to serve those that were sick and that were dying. And for the Christians, most of them, because it's an infection, they died. Now, let me ask you, especially those that are Christians, how many of you, when you heard about this disease, how many of you was it the first reaction? Oh, man, I need to go and I need to serve those people. Let's be real. More of us are so concerned about our own safety and security. But can I tell you, that's not the heart of God. And if you need to hear that as a rebuke tonight, hear it as a rebuke tonight. God is not interested in your safety and your comfort and even your future more than the, the heart of the lost sheep. The problem is the world treats the lowly differently. They get no attention, they get no love, they get no care. But the problem is, sadly, that has come into the church. We have become like that. And what we're doing is we're missing the heart of God. We're missing the heart of God. We're missing the exact heart that Jesus is, is teaching us. God's heart is for the lost. But we've become indifferent. We've become so all about protecting ourselves and our comfort and our future. We have 
we've, we've lost the plot. We've distanced ourselves from the very people that God's heart is for. And our view of God has been taken over by our own desires, sense of security, and our significance. We love those that we want or we think that God loves, not the ones that actually God loves. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is biblical truth that we cannot go past. This is the heart of God. And there is nowhere in those verses, there is nowhere in scripture that separates types of people or races of people or moral standings of people or the geography of people or the socioeconomics of people. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. God's heart is for every single person. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and for the sins of every other person. If we see this, which we need to see it again. We need to see it again. Because if we're, if we're missing this, we're missing the heart of God. You're not seeing God clearly because this is what God's about. If we see God clearer and understand his heart, well, what should our response be? What should our response be? And there are four things that I want to finish with. Firstly, we need to recognize that the sinner that Jesus died for was me. The religious leaders and the teachers of the law at the time of Jesus, they failed to recognize that the sin that Jesus died for on the cross was theirs. They just thought it was the other sinner or the low people or the prostitute or the, or the really bad person. But no, the, the first thing that we need to understand is the sinner that Jesus died for is me. Now, this is especially relevant to people that have grown up in the church. That, that, uh, that are used to just going to church, that church is some kind of just Sunday, like let's just tick it off, you know, and now I can get on with the rest of the week. Or for some of you that maybe, you genuinely think that you're not that bad. You think, you know, oh yeah, that's that person. <laughs> or there's that person. Or that person. Friend, only when you realize that you need to be saved is the point where you will start looking for a savior. Let me say that again. Only when you recognize that you need to be saved is when you'll start looking for a savior. If you never think that you need to be saved, then you will never need a savior. First, we need to look in the mirror and recognize the sinfulness of our own lives. And that as we see Jesus and as he's Death and resurrection came for the forgiveness of our sins to recognize that it was for me first. Now, I don't, I don't, it's it. This is not just you. I'm talking about me. There's not a single day that doesn't go by that I do not remind myself that Jesus died for my sins. 
And that should lead to a life of repentance and gratitude for what God has done for you. Secondly, we need to recognize that the sinner that Jesus died for are your friends and family. You know, God loves your friends and family. Actually, he loves them more than you. Can I say something? God loves your children. God loves your children more than you love them. I know sometimes as parents, and this is relevant for parents, parents think that, you know what, like there is no one that loves my child more than me. And yes, that's true on this earth, but do you know what? God loves your child way more than you. Your parents, your children, your spouse, your friends, your co-workers, God's heart is for all of them. And he desires for them to be found as well. What's the problem here? The problem is we don't like to offend those that we love. We don't like to put our relationships on the line and, and, and make, you know, our, create tension in the family or create tension within our friendships. We don't want to, want to tread on people's toes and make them feel uncomfortable. But if we truly see God's heart and we understand it, then we need to let our friends and family know that God is looking for them. God is seeking them. God is pursuing them. They need the love and forgiveness of God as much as we do. Thirdly, we need to recognize that the sinner that Jesus died for includes your enemies. Now, we don't really use the word enemies much these days. Um, we, the word enemies really just gets used around, uh, especially in Australia, when we talk about the government for some reason. You know? Like, how many enemies do you have, right? Like, if I gave you a piece of paper and I write down all your enemies... Really, how many enemies do we have? If I was to rephrase that, it's just people that you don't like. Like You might not hate them, but you wouldn't hang out with them. You know, you, you, you wouldn't spend time with them. You know, it might be someone at work. They just get on your nerves. It might be a family member. You know, it's just you just don't, you don't want to go to the family meeting because you know they're going to be there, and if they're there, then you're there. All that. But friend, just because you hate them or, or you don't like them or you have issues with them does not mean that God does too. Our inability to forgive our enemies is not a representation of God's heart, but more so is a representation of your limitation and your sinfulness. But the reality is that God loves them too as much as he loves you. Now, I know that's hard to swallow for some of us because for some of us, these people include people that have done wrong to us. These people include people that have abused us, people that have caused trauma in our lives. And I'm not taking away from any of that pain and suffering, but in the same way that you needed the forgiveness of the Father, that person does too. In the same way that you are sinful, they are as well. And if we understand that God loves them too, then this should really start to change the way we view them because if they are important in God's eyes, then they should become important in ours as well. See, that's what happens when you love someone. When you love someone, something that they love, you start to embrace. Now, the best example, once again, out of my marriage, is because I just love my wife that much. Just don't say it enough. My wife likes walking. I don't like walking. I like driving. 
Why walk when you can drive? That's my motto. <laughs> right? Why walk upstairs when there's an escalator? I don't understand. Because I'm like, why don't you just walk up the escalator and you just get there faster? Anyway, for many, many, many years, um, we used to argue because my wife likes walking and I don't like walking. And, and, but, but over time, over time, because I love my wife so much, I have started to embrace walking. I know, it's amazing. Hey, God can do miracles, okay? If I can enjoy walking, okay, God can change your life. Okay, that's the point of that story, okay? If it's important to someone you love, it's got to become important to you. And these enemies or these people that you don't get along with, God loves them and God forgave them. So you've got to learn to love them too. Finally, we need to recognize that the sinner that Jesus died for includes the least. We're talking about the poor, the neglected, the socially awkward, the, the loners, the criminals, the illegal immigrants, the friends who like to pop drugs like their Skittles, the next door neighbor who never says hello, the children, your children sometimes, the disabled, the homeless, the mentally impaired, the blind, the weak, because Jesus died for each and every one of them. Jesus died for each and every one of them. See, we need to start seeing things differently. We need to start seeing the world the way that God sees the world. God doesn't see a homeless man. Did you know that? God doesn't see a black man or a white man. God doesn't see an income bracket. God doesn't see an occupation. You know what he sees? He sees a lost sheep. He sees a lost sheep that he loves very much because he created that sheep. And he would leave 99. He would leave 99 in the paddock and leave them at risk and leave them for whatever's going to happen. And he would go and find that one lost sheep. And when he finds that lost sheep, he would go home. He would call the town. He would massive party showing the value of that lost sheep. God's heart is for them. And if we truly understand that and if we truly believe that, then we need to start seeing it like that. You know what that means? It means that when you see a homeless person, you don't see a person without a home. You see a person that needs some help. Or it means that in your family, you know, that one, you know, that one uh, relative that, that no one really talks to, it means that that's the opportunity to go and talk to that person. It means like going to work and uh, being nice to your co-workers. It means actually looking for the lost. See, for some of us, we can get to the point of we can hang out with the lost. We, we can, you know, we can, you know, if they're there, we'll be nice to them. And that's, you know, that's, a, that's only a few of us. Let's we'll be completely honest. Most of us, we see... We see the outcast. We, we, we're jumping on the other side of the road and walking down. Let's be honest. But for some of us who are, you know, greater capacity, we see someone in trouble. And, you know, at that time and place, you can help them. But can I tell you, that's only halfway of God's heart. God's heart is not just to help the, the needy person that, you know, you found on the street. God's heart is to go and find the needy person. To proactively go and find the lost. See, that's the difference. 
That's what God is all about. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to find lost people. Now, I'm not just talking about the outcasts. I'm talking about each and every one of us. And when he finds that one lost sheep, when he finds that one lost sheep, the party in heaven is phenomenal. My uh, oldest son, hey, Chris, you want to come up here? Yeah, come up here. This is my oldest son. Uh, he's 12, starting high school this year. He's very excited. You excited, aren't you? I walk properly. Jax, Jax, Jax. He's getting taller than me. I reckon by next year this time he'll be taller than me. Um, two weeks ago, um, Chris went to camp. He went to his first high school camp. And at that camp, um, well, Chris is going to share his testimony in a few in a month's time, but to put it simply, at that camp, God found him. And um, you know, one one of my one of my friends was the preacher at that camp, who just happened to be Chris's godfather. I I think God set up this whole camp for for Chris. And um, on the way back, he called me. And Chris hadn't come home yet, and he called me, and he. And he said, Steve, I just want to let you know that um, during camp, there was a time of um, prayer and a time of decision-making. And during that time, um, Chris came out and he, and he gave his life to Christ. And I'm hearing this on the phone and I, I'm, I'm, I'm bawling. And my mate's bawling. Mel's hearing it on the side. She's bawling. We're bawling. Because there's a father who loves his children very, very much. I love the church, but you don't come close. Okay. To hear the words that God has found my son personally. And the other three are coming. Don't worry. They'll, they'll come. You know, when, when, when Scripture says that there was a party in heaven... And the angels celebrated. You know why I started to understand that? Because, you know what, can I tell you, there's nothing else that, that I need in this world but just to hear those words about all four of my children that they've been found by God. There's nothing else. There's, no, there's nothing greater. You name something greater. You won a Nobel Peace Prize. You, you became the Prime Minister. Really? You, you know, you, you banked out, you know, $40 trillion in your bank. Really? Compared to hearing that your own kid got found by God? Can I tell you, that's the heart of God. There's a movie, and in that movie, uh, a son, a re- very rebellious son, he, um, he finds God, and he tells his dad, Dad, I, I was found by God today, and I've made right with him. And the dad sort of just shrugged him off. Said, oh, okay, good on you. And then the next scene cuts, and, and the father's sitting there with another father, and the, father, the other father's sitting there going, you know what, I would, give, I would give anything to hear that about my child. That is the heart of God. 
the heart of God says that there's no calculations involved. It's not just a process like, yeah, good, you know, let's tick it off, you know, you got found by God. No, this is the greatest thing. So in a month's time, we're going we're gonna to baptize Chris. First of March, we're going to have a whole bunch of baptisms that day. You know, very exciting. Chris has been waiting to jump into that pool for a while. It'd be nice to jump in today, hey? It's awkward now. You've made it awkward now. Father, son, awkward moment. Stay up here. Friends, if we truly understand the heart of God, that's when you start to understand and see God clearly. You start to understand what God's really all about. It's not just about knowing the facts of God, it's knowing the heart of God. And the heart of God is that he wants to find the lost and you're included in that lost. Each and every person here is included in that lost. You know, for some of you, you've been found, that's great. That was a great day. But I know tonight, even tonight, some of you, you need to be found tonight. And here's the thing, you don't even need to go looking for God. He's right there. He's coming to find you. You just need to be found. You just need to be found. Friends, let's start to see God clearer. Start to understand the heart of God. Start to live that out in our lives. Be found by him tonight. Let's pray.